to the GBC Sermon Podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website, gaimiabaptist.org.au. morning. It's good to have you here this morning, whether you're joining us on site or online. It's good to be together in the house of the Lord where there is joy. Uh, and part of the reason there's joy is because our God reigns. Yes? Uh, and that's part of the reason why we're going to be exploring these royal psalms. Uh, there are 10 such psalms in the book of Psalms, 10 psalms that have as their theme the king. Uh, and therefore, an opportunity for us to reflect both on kingship and on kingdom, what it means for us to be part of the kingdom of God and what it means for us to be under the reign of God's anointed. Uh, and so we're going to be taking some time to look at several of these psalms, and I'm pretty excited about the opportunity because I'm always excited about these sorts of things, but an opportunity for us to dive into a particular theme and a section of psalms that help us not only understand how they function in the Old Testament, but also help us think, I hope, about Jesus and what it means for us to be part of the kingdom today. And the first psalm, the first royal psalm that we're going to be exploring is, of course, Psalm 2, the psalm that was just read for us. And if you have uh, either the version event up, it's got all four readings that we've read today. Uh, I'd encourage you to have Psalm 2 in front of you. We're also going to look a little bit at Psalm 1. And what I want to try to do this morning, very briefly, is to kind of take you through this psalm, explore some of the aspects within it, and then kind of end with, I think, two really significant invitations for us. Uh, two opportunities for us to take this psalm and continue to think about it, reflect upon it, and meditate upon it uh, in the days and the weeks to come. So you have to kind of stay with me as we have a bit of a look at the psalm. It's a pretty significant psalm, not only because it's the first royal psalm, but it's also psalm number two. Uh, it is the second psalm, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the psalms were not just kind of shuffled together like a deck of cards, and then they kind of went, well, that's Psalm 1, that's Psalm 2, that's Psalm 3. There was some thought put into this, right? There are 150 psalms. They are arranged in five separate books. For those of you who have finished the Old Testament overview, whenever you come across fives, that's a little bit suspicious in Scripture, because there are also five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy form the basis of how the people were to live. And the fact that there are five books of the Psalms suggests that the final kind of set of Psalms is meant to be an extension of the book of the law, an extension about how we ought to live in God's world. And that's borne out when you have a look at Psalm 1 and 2. Psalm 1 and 2 are kind of unique in the first book of the Psalms. Uh, these are two psalms that do not have a superscription associated with them. If you have your Bibles with you and have a look at Psalm 3, the superscription is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Psalm 4 has a superscription. Psalm 5 has a superscription. Psalm 6, Psalm 7, Psalm 8, Psalm 10, 11. Basically, only four psalms in the first book don't have one, and the first two are some of them. Psalm 1 opens with a beatitude. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the ways of the wicked and who doesn't stand in the way that sinners take or uh, who does not 
sit in the way of mockers. Psalm 2 ends with the beatitude, blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's a sense that these first two psalms are meant to display for us the two ways in which God works in the world. He works through his law and he works through his king. And these things go together. We are meant, like our glasses, well, for those of you who have them, to have both lenses, right? I wear uh, contacts when I play sport. Have you ever had a lens fall out? Really bad. Yeah, my sight is fine in the one eye, but I really can't see when I have both my eyes open. Our eyes are meant to look through the lens of the law of God and the King to understand how we are to live the blessed life in the world. So Psalm 2 plays a really important role to set up for us how we understand the Psalms as a whole. And it presents for us a, a particular understanding of the world. And I want to kind of draw your attention to how the psalm is constructed and the various shifts in voice and location, because I think they, they play a part in how this psalm may have originally been used. Uh, as, as you heard Trevor read it to you, uh, you may have been struck uh, by how much it talks about the king being the representative of the Lord on earth. It's quite likely that this psalm would have been used in an inauguration or a coronation or the anniversary of an inauguration or a coronation, and that there would have been some sort of performance element of this psalm, that there might have been a priest or a Levite who spoke certain components, that the congregation may have responded, that the king himself may have said some particular words from this psalm, and I'll draw your attention to them as we go. So hopefully by now you found Psalm 2, uh, or you've been so entranced by the introduction to it that now it's time to look at it. But here we go. Have a look at Psalm 2. Because the psalmist opens with a global question. Psalm 1 is very individualistic, right? Blessed is the one who. The one who does not walk with sinners or stand in their way or sit with them, but who meditates upon the law of God, delights in it. And the invitation of Psalm 1 is for each and every one of us to be the one who is blessed. Psalm 2 opens with a global perspective. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? It's a good question. Let's just forget the in vain part for a moment. But why do the nations conspire? Why do the nations plot and scheme and conspire together? Well, there's lots of reasons, aren't there? You don't have to read very far in your newspaper, your social media feed, to find that nations are still conspiring, are they not? There are still plots afoot. And we could give all sorts of reasons, couldn't we? We could say that they're after power or they're after influence or they're after wealth and resources or they're trying to protect their own honor or their own resources or their own influence, right? The nations are still scheming. They're still conspiring. The psalmist says, why do they do that when it's a lost cause? Why do they do that when it's just in vain, when there's absolutely nothing to really be gained? And the psalmist is not talking about this from the perspective of political science or political history. He's not actually asking the question, why do nations conspire in terms of politics and intrigue and military advances and military retreats and all of the other things? Nor is he reflecting on the historical vanity of empires, right? That come and go and end up in kind of the hall in some museum someplace with a bunch of fine relics from the past. He has a theological answer to this. 
Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. That kind of casts world politics on a slightly different scale, doesn't it? That all that the nations are trying to do and all of the schemes from the, kind of the local level to the state level to the federal level to the international level, everything that they're involved in is not just about power, is not just about their own influence, is not just about greed. It's ultimately setting itself up against the plans and purposes of God to restore and renew all things. The nations are conspiring against the plans of God. How in the world do they think that's going to work? I mean, listen to, their, listen to their statement. They say, let us break the chains of the Lord and his anointed. Let us throw off their shackles. I mean, what a way to speak about the plans and purposes of God. To describe the things that God has designed for freedom and for blessing and for benefit and for peace and for rest as shackles is just so misleading, isn't it? Does it sound vaguely familiar, though? Now the scene shifts. The psalmist has asked the question. Perhaps the priest has asked the people, why do the nations conspire in vain? And then the geography shifts to heaven. Here's what we read. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath. There's, there's the Lord up in heaven. Is he threatened by the conspiring nations? Is he intimidated by their plotting? Is he worried about their scheming? Is he uncertain about what's next? Is he scrambling to find some allies to deal with the threat? No, he is laughing. Really? It, it's, it's the laugh of a father being attacked by their three-year-old. Right? This is funny particularly if the three-year-old is really kind of taking it seriously, right? Ah, that's just really funny. It's hard not to laugh when... <laughs> seriously. Boo! That's what the Lord does. There are the nations conspiring, raging, plotting, scheming. The Lord's like, that's pretty funny. That's really funny. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I have, he says... Installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. That ought to be a terrifying prospect. Because the Lord is not just up in heaven with some sort of plan that he has in the spiritual realm that he might one day implement someplace. No, no, no. He has actually begun his plans on earth through his anointed one. It is starting and all of your schemes, all of your plots, all of that wonderful conspiring, all those attempts to gather resources and wealth and expand your boundaries and establish your name and make a name for you, all that stuff, it's really under threat. And then the scene shifts. We have a change of voice. Now it's the king speaking. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. The promises of the Lord. The promises of the Lord to his anointed one. 
that ultimately all kingdoms, all resistance, all rebellion will be futile. It will all be crushed and overwhelmed by the plans and the purposes of God on the earth. He will not be stopped. He will not be thwarted. Pretty powerful statement, isn't it? The voice shifts. Back to the opening voice. The person who wondered why the nations conspire now has a word for those conspiring nations. Therefore, given the state of things in heaven, that God, that God is just, he just finds all your schemes pretty amusing. Given the fact that he has installed his king on Zion, you might want to be wise. And what does wisdom look like? Well, serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, the king. Submit to his rule, lest he be angry and your way will lead to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Pretty good psalm, eh? You can imagine it at a coronation or the uh, anniversary of a coronation, a reminder of God to God's people about who their king is and who he represents, a reminder to their king about who he represents, a reminder of how they are to live in a world where the nations conspire and rage and plot and scheme, believing that they can throw off the shackles, that they can somehow thwart and delay the promises of God on earth. So what's the invitation to us? This is a couple. A couple of really, really significant ones. The first is this. God is not worried. Are you? You ever look at our world and wonder what's next? You ever read the newspaper and think, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? And within our lifetimes, for many of us, we have seen the influence and significance of the church fade away into irrelevance. Not just irrelevance, but where the church is now deemed to be a danger to society? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever become fearful? Well, let me tell you what the Lord is doing. He's not worried. <laughs> the Lord is still enthroned in heaven. kind of like the idea of picturing God chuckling under his breath at the schemes and plots and conspiracies of our world to undo, delay, to stop, to halt his desires to restore everything. So the invitation is for us not to respond in fear. And there is so much of it, isn't there? There's a reason why politicians fear monger, isn't there? Because it works. 
We are so easily led to a place where we are fearful. And when we are fearful, we get defensive, don't we? We run away. We want to back off. We want to create a bit of a fortress environment. We want to divide us between those people out there, the bad people, the enemy, and us. And the problem with that is not only that it's theologically inappropriate, right? Because God's not worried, and he has installed his king on earth, hmm? who has then sent us not to some sort of fortress, not to run away and withdraw, but back into the world. But when we are fearful, when we are fearful, we cannot be on purpose. I mean, there's a tension in this, isn't there? It's a, a powerful tension. If you know the history of the kings of uh, Israel and Judah, you'll know that very few of them looked like this. Even the good ones, Jehoshaphat, Asa, Hezekiah, Josiah, even David, the, the, the one who basically would be the measure by which all of the kings would be measured, failed spectacularly, didn't they? This psalm has been placed at the very beginning of the book of Psalms. There are five books. And there's good evidence to suggest that this reached its final form, that the kind of the final ordering of it actually didn't finish until after the exile. If you know the history of Israel, there was the period of the monarchy where the kings failed to be faithful, failed to represent the Lord on earth, and ultimately experienced the discipline of God in being sent into exile, away from the land. And when the people returned, miraculously, there was no king. But in that period of time, when they were both reflecting on the failure of the kings to be like this, and living in a situation where they had no king like this, they nonetheless placed this psalm at the very beginning of the Psalter. Because their hope had begun to be placed in a future king. One who would come, who would perfectly align with the purposes and plans of God. Who we, of course, see in the person of Jesus. The anointed one, the Messiah. So in Christ, we are doubly called not to fear. And fear will keep us. Fear will keep us. Fear will keep us from getting the beatitude at the end right. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 1 opens, blessed is the one who meditates on the law of God. Be the one. Psalm 2 ends, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And if we are fearful and defensive and protective of who we are and what we are on about, scared to death that the conspiring nations will actually undo the kingdom of God, then that all who can take refuge, is confined to us. You and me. People who are like us. But if we are set free from the shackles and fetters of fear, we are perhaps better placed to extend that beatitude to those to whom it was intended, and that is... 
to all. Blessed are all who find sanctuary in the Lord. Blessed are all who find asylum in the Lord. You know all the current debates around asylum, don't you? And how they are driven by fear. Because they are different from us. They hold different values and different priorities. And they speak a different language with a different culture. And we This psalm finishes by saying, blessed are all who find asylum here in the Lord and in his anointed one. Blessed are all who find sanctuary here. You know the idea of a wildlife sanctuary? A safe space where, well, the wildlife can flourish because the boundaries and the borders are protected. And there are rules about what can and cannot happen inside of that sanctuary. Blessed are all who come and find sanctuary in the Lord. And if we are fearful, if we are frightened, if we believe that somehow the forces out there are stronger than the Lord, then we only give half we only give half of the blessing, don't we? All we're left with is saying to the world what Psalm 1 says. Blessed are those who meditate on the law of the Lord. That's all we have left. And while it's nice to have one lens, I'd rather play with one contact than none. Two brings clarity, doesn't it? to recognize that God calls us both to meditate upon his law and to be those who recognize that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And that does not entitle us to say to the world, we're the ones who have the blessing you've missed out. It does not entitle us to say that we're going to keep it to ourselves. It actually invites us to live a life without fear, with a courage based on faith that says, I have found refuge in the Lord, and it is anointed. And his plans and purposes will come to pass. And there is refuge for all who will come to find it. And where there is refuge in the Lord, there is blessing. And once those who have conspired against the Lord have found refuge with him, I'd like to introduce you to the law of the Lord. I invite you to meditate upon it with me. That together we might be faithful. Together we might see his kingdom come. We face a bit of a watershed, I believe. We face a watershed in terms of our attitude to our culture. It would be very easy for us to say that it's all bad out there and we just need to retreat. We can't. We can't. 
And this psalm encourages us with why. Because seated at the right hand of the Father is Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. And all things have been placed under him that all things might find their unity in him. So do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now let's go out and tell people. The Royal Psalms. Got six more to go. Looking forward to exploring this theme, how it points to Jesus, how it encourages us to, to live in the kingdom. Because I do believe that we are getting closer and closer to a time when we will be called upon by God to throw our arms open to our world rather than just kind of pulling back. Uh, it's a really important mission and ministry moment for us, one where we are going to have to confront our fear and the basis for our courage, which is faith in the one who is enthroned in heaven who has a quiet chuckle under his breath at the conspiring nations. Would you join me as we pray? I'm going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in a closing song of worship before we wrap up our service. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you are seated, enthroned in heaven, and that the Lord Jesus Christ sits at your right hand. Lord Jesus, we uh, have come to know that you are the Messiah, the anointed one the one who represents the will of the Father and who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, who has invited us into a life of fullness, of blessing, of rest, of peace, of comfort, a life of courage in the face of conspiring forces. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us, that we would be those who are able to live without fear, and that as we go into our days and our weeks, that we might be reminded in the midst of all that is quite frightening that you do reign and that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And may we be conduits of invitation to everyone that we meet to find refuge in you, to find sanctuary in you, to enter into the life that you have designed for us and your plans and purposes to restore all things. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope this message has challenged and strengthened you, encouraged you to pray and rely on God and blessed you today. If you'd like to get to know some of our church community, you can listen to the We Are The Church podcast, an open conversation with real people who call GBC home as they share stories of God at work in their lives and how their lives are being changed by Jesus.